0: 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 reads like this. And that from childhood, that you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. First Thessalonians chapter two. Here's another one I want us to read. It'll be on the screen for you tonight. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse thirteen. Uh, for this reason, we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as the word, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe here's one more verse, Second Peter 1 and 21. It says this, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight, and I pray that as we delve into this that you would give us understanding, uh, help us, Lord, to take what we learn and apply it, but also, Lord, let us use it to strengthen our faith and so we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, tonight, basically, over the next, this is going to be a 16-week teaching. So if you, if you calculate that up, we're going to be parked right here for three months. So you're looking at uh, towards the end of March. Um, we belong to an amazing fellowship of churches called the Assemblies of God. Now, I've said on record several times that, that um, the Assemblies of God is not perfect, and doctrine, you know, do, our doctrine's great, but any organization has its flaws. But I love the Assemblies of God because of our doctrinal stance and because of our missions program and our, our cooperation one with another to take the gospel around the world. I, I appreciate the accountability and the network of ministers and churches. And, um, but tonight, one thing I love is our approach on doctrine. And uh, I think that it's vitally important for us to know what we believe. Now, many of you, I'll, I'll give you just a quick history lesson. But the Assemblies of God was formed in, in the turn of the century um, around between 1904 and 1906, when the Azusa Street Revival was happening in Los Angeles, California, they were meeting at a little house in a prayer meeting. That prayer meeting grew, went to a homeless shelter, and that revival broke out and uh, went for years and years and years. and And so, people at that time, Pentecost was not real popular, and the Baptists and Methodists and the Episcopalians and all of these people came to these prayer meetings, seeking after God, and they left with a Pentecost experience, which we would call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They, they They left speaking in other tongues, as the Scripture tells us in Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, and Mark 16. They left with this experience, and they were excited about it. How many of you who've ever been baptized with the Holy Spirit were excited about your experience? Well, when they went home... They were the only ones. Their churches thought they went crazy. They, they were given the left foot of fellowship. And so uh, these people, you know, one of the things at Azusa Street that was, that was emphasized was the return of Christ. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And We've got to get the gospel around the world. And so, and so uh, missions just really bursted out from the western world from Azusa Street. People begin to leave and go to different nations and take the gospel to the far-flung corners of the earth. Some of them not raising a six-figure budget and being approved by the national office. No, that ain't how they did it in those days. They bought a casket. They put everything that they could in it, and they put it on a boat, and they left, never expecting to return. These people were hardcore. And so one thing that they said, they said, we need a family, we need somebody to belong to. We need, we need some fellowship. So I don't know how they wound up from Los Angeles to Hot Springs, Arkansas, but they, they gathered downtown on Central Avenue and had the first general council of the Assemblies of God. And one of the things that they came together and they said was they, they established a missions program and they said, we need to formulate what we believe because it's important what you believe. Amen? And so they, they came up with 16 non-compromising fundamental truths. They said these 16 things we will not compromise on. And so out of those 16, there are four that, that kind of stick out the most. Jesus is Savior. Uh, number two, Jesus is Healer. Uh, number three, Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. And number four, Jesus is our soon returning king. Uh, And so those are four cardinal doctrines, but there were 16 doctrines that that they formulated on, and they said, this is what we believe. Now, why I like that is because you can go to any Assemblies of God church anywhere in the world, and they all believe the same thing. Now, when you go to a church in Africa... It doesn't look like a church in Oklahoma. They don't dress the same. They don't sing the same. They don't worship the same. But they're still the assemblies of God because they rally around missions and they rally around that doctrinal statement. Listen, uh, you can go to rural Oklahoma and go to a church that's assemblies of God in New York City and it doesn't look the same. But the thing that makes us look the same is not how we dress or how we sing, but it's our doctrinal statement and our commitment to world missions. And so I love that because the assemblies of God allows a lot of personality with their mission, with their ministers and their churches. And, and so we don't all have to be the same. It's a really big umbrella. But I love our stance on sticking with sacred truths of scripture. And tonight I felt like it was important for us to jump into this. Because I'm finding out through research and through national polls and things of that nature that doctrine, biblical doctrine, is literally falling by the wayside. Uh, motivational preaching, inspirational preaching, there's a place and time for everything, but doctrine is falling by the wayside. And, and when you don't know what you believe or why you believe it, it's so easy to fall off into deception or into the wrong way. And so tonight, we want to look at this, but the first one, which is a bedrock of all of it, number one, you're ready for it, the very first cardinal truth of the Assemblies of God. I'm going to read it to you. The Scriptures, both the Old and the New Testament, are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man, the infallible authoritative rule of faith, and conduct. See, I believe that doctrine is so important in today's culture. You want to know why? Because there's been an attempt to undermine the authority of Scripture. Uh, There's been an attempt to undermine the authority of Scripture. Um, Not only its credibility has been undermined, but get this, its accessibility. Do you know that the Bible is either illegal or banned or highly restricted in 52 nations of the world. 52 nations of the world, the Bible, the Scripture, the Christian Scripture is restricted or banned. If you get caught with the Scripture in most Muslim countries, if you're a Muslim caught with it, it's death. If you're a foreigner, uh, you're likely going to be imprisoned and made an example out of. Um, so that's why I don't understand why people in the Middle East who are Christians uh, will sacrifice their life to read the Bible, and yet we have so many translations available to us, and many people have never read it cover to cover. Let us not tonight take for granted the blessing that we have the access to the Word of God. Man, it's awesome for us to do that. I want you to know, I watched a a video that was released years ago uh, from the underground church in China where a missionary smuggled a a case of Bibles in. Many of you may have saw this video. It actually went viral. But uh, I don't even think it was a whole Bible, but I think it was just the Gospel of John. I watched a, a room full of Chinese people literally almost trample each other to get a copy of it. Because up until that point, all they had was one copy of the book of John. Get this? And what they did is they would rip the pages out and pass it around, and each person would transcribe it by hand or they would memorize it. They didn't have their own copy. Folks, we don't need to take for granted the fact that we have access to the Word of God, it's so important. For us to be able to, to do that. But uh, not only that, but the Word of God's feared. You gotta ask yourself the question why, why is the Bible banned? I mean, the Quran's not banned. And the Quran literally says, I have a copy on my shelf, I can show it to you. The Quran literally says if somebody doesn't agree with you and they're, they're not a believer of Allah, then you, you smite the infidel and cut off their head. Jesus never said that. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. But yet somehow the adversary, the nations of the world, are afraid of this book. I can tell you why. Because the Bible is inspired it's the inspired Word of God. Let me read that one more time to us. The Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament, are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man, the infallible authoritative rule of faith and conduct. I want to give you a couple of thoughts tonight as we look at it, because many people want to know, what do you mean the Scripture is inspired? Well, what we mean by that is that God Himself literally inspired men to write these words. And through history after history, years after years after years, authors spaced apart and books and and centuries, and people who didn't even know each other wrote some of the very same things. And and historically and archaeologically, all of them were proven. And tonight I want to look at that. So the first thing tonight I want to look at is the evidence of inspiration the evidence of inspiration I'll, we need to look at tonight the fulfilled prophecies of the old testament you got to understand the bible was not written by like one person god used people as instruments and vessels but the bible is actually 66 Different books, Old and New Testament, compiled by different authors, many of them not even living in the same time period. But yet, how is it that Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, who never even lived in the days of Christ, could prophesy the coming of the Messiah, where he would be born? how he would die, um, uh, all of those different types of things, how in the world would he ever be able to do that unless it was divinely inspired? The the prophecies about Christ being born of a virgin, how in the world would they ever be able to, to happen unless God inspired those things? The fulfilled prophecies of the Old Testament are proof of the inspiration of the Word of God. Here's here's another one. The unity and the coherence of the Bible, despite being written by different authors over a long period of time. When you look at the Old Testament prophets, many of them, like I said, who did not live in the same time, when you compare their words, they didn't contradict. They said the same thing. And I know what some people are saying, oh, pastor, you know, yeah, but, but man, man got in there and changed all of that. Well, you know, uh, we're going to get into that a little bit in a minute. But we start talking about the original manuscripts and how they've been dated and, and, and proven and, and all of those things. But I'm telling you that the writers of the Bible were coherent and unified as, as writing the this, this stories and the accounts of God throughout the Bible history. Here's a third one. Here's another evidence of inspiration. The historical accuracy of the Bible. Now, I'm not picking on Mormons tonight. It's just the easiest one to tackle. the The Joseph Smith had a vision. An angel visited him, and he says, and uh, had a vision, and... He said that Jesus... is another testament said that Jesus came to America and, and you know, there was tablets of stone and, and all these types of things. And the thing about it is there's not one historical record that backs up Joseph Smith's claims. Not one. Not one. They have never proven it. There's not one archaeological record that has ever backed it up. But the Bible my friend, is full of evidence historically. And I'm not talking about from other believers. I'm talking about from secular writers. I mean I mean Jewish people who rejected Jesus as Messiah, like Josephus, one of the most famous Jewish scholars. Uh, Josephus writes and says... That Jesus Christ was seen alive after his resurrection. Walking the streets of Jerusalem. I mean, this is a guy who's not a Christian. He doesn't have anything to gain. In fact, he has everything to lose by reporting something like that. But yet he still writes it. The historical accuracy of the Bible. Um, Not only that, but the nations that the Bible talks about being in existence in those times. Many of those nations that are today no longer in existence. They have been found in archaeological ruins, citing the fact that there is historical accuracy in the Scripture. Historical uh, accuracy. Here's the next one. There's scientific and medical insights in the Bible that were only discovered much later. You see, people think that the science and God conflict, but they really don't. Science just simply means knowledge, but God is all knowledge. Do you know that when God gave the law of circumcision to Abraham and the children of Israel and they were in the law, they were told that they were to circumcise their children on the eighth day, on the eighth day. Now, anybody know why? Well, we, we think that it's, you know, seven days a week, eight days, new beginnings. You know, no, nah, it's nothing spiritual like that. They didn't know it, but God knew. Newborns, babies, blood don't really start to coagulate correctly until the eighth day. Now, today in modern modern time, they give you a shot in the hospital that kicks that in. But in those days, there was no shot. But God knew everybody say God knew. God knew. See, science and the Bible actually make up for a lot of stuff. You know, He told the the Jews in that time not to go around and touch dead bodies because of communicable diseases and things of that nature in those days that they did not have widespread knowledge of. But God, because He's the Creator of all things, He prepared His people in such a time so that they would know. So there's scientific and medical insight in the Bible that were only discovered much later. Do you know that NASA and other people say that the universe is still expanding? They do. They're always putting that telescope out there and finding something new. You know why? Because in Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light, and he never told it to stop. The universe is still expanding. And scientific evidence and research has backed up the fact that the Scripture truly is inspired. Not only that, you have the impact and transformation of individuals and communities throughout the reading and the obedience of the Bible. Lives are changed by the Word of God. It's the evidence of inspiration. Here's the second thing. I want to look at the doctrine of of inerrancy. What does inerrant mean? It means it's without error, infallible. Now, this is important because what I told you is that there's been an attempt to tear down the validity of the Word of God. You know why? Because God's Word is power. God's Word is our sacred, sacred rule and conduct for faith and life. And, and if people can undermine the Scripture and say, well, it's not really trustworthy or it's, it's, it's full of errors and contradictions and, and all of those things, then they can undermine it. But the truth is, is that the biblical basis for the doctrine of infallibility relies in this, about the authority and the divine origin of the Scripture as the Word of God. The Bible literally says that God breathed. He spoke. He moved upon men. And they wrote as the Spirit of God inspired them. Now, one thing about God, when He moves through people, this is interesting. When God moves through people, He moves oftentimes through our personalities that He gave us, by the way. What do you mean by that? Well, a lot of times people feel like, you know, uh, if they get filled with the Holy Spirit or something, then they're just going to be crazy. No, you probably were crazy already. True story. I've known timid people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and be real. They got bolder, but they were real calm about it. But the Holy Spirit, when He uses people, there's a distinction. Let me give you an illustration. We have a band teacher here. We got different types of wind instruments. Let me pick a couple. A saxophone, a tuba, and a trombone. The same person can blow their breath into each one of those instruments, and they will make a different sound. Amen. They'll make a different sound. Same breath, different sound. That's the way it is when God uses us. And that's the way it was when God breathed upon these authors and writers of the Scripture. That's why scholars can take several different books and they can say, this was the writing style of Moses. Moses. Because he had a particular pattern the way he did things. David had a particular pattern the way he wrote things. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Although uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what the scholars call synoptic gospel. That just means they're similar gospels. They contain the same stories for the most part, but different eye view witnesses. But the reason why some of their stuff may be worded a little different is not because the Bible is full of error, but it's just like if you and I were to go out here to the train track and you stood on the north side and I stood on the south side and somebody was from the west looking and saw an accident, we would all see the same accident, but we would see a different perspective of it. The authority of Scripture is based upon its divine origin. It literally came from God. Not only that, but the doctrine of infallibility has credibility based on the preservation of the Bible by the power of God. I love what Psalm 12 and Matthew 5, both of them kind of say the same thing. The grass withers and the flower fades but the Word of God shall abide forever. Do you understand that that people have tried to destroy the Word of God? They've tried to stamp it out. They've tried to get rid of it. But God has preserved His Word throughout the ages. So it's an awesome thing. Here's why infallibility is important. Because that means... That the Bible then is the final authority in matters of faith and practice. We can trust and rely on the Bible as God's guide for our lives. See, if we believe the Scripture is inspired and this is God's Word, then we're confronted with the fact that the Scripture says that let God be true. And every man be a liar. People ask me all the time, what's your opinion about this? I'm very opinionated. But my opinions aren't worth a hill of beans if they don't line up with this. There are things that, listen, I'm going to be transparent with you. There are things in the Bible that if I would have wrote it, I wouldn't have put it in there. That whole turn your your other cheek thing, I don't like it. I like eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You know, you mess with me, I'll mess with you. But Jesus flipped a script and said, no, 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 don't do that. I said, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. If someone takes your tunic, you give them your cloak also. If they ask you to go one mile, you go two. See, some of that stuff like that, I wouldn't have put it in there. But at the end of the day, my opinion doesn't really matter. The Word of God's what matters. And the reason, I'm just going to say it tonight, the reason why the church is in so much trouble is because preachers like to talk about their opinion of what the Word of God says rather than what the Word of God says. You know why? Because contrary to popular belief, the Bible says my Word is like a hammer that crushes the rock into pieces. I mean, the Word of God is a sword. It is a double-edged sword. It cuts going in, and it cuts coming out. I told us Sunday. It's, a, it's, it's for reproof and rebuke. It gets you when you're not living right, and He puts you back on the right path. Gives you instruction for righteousness. But if the Bible is not infallible, and it's not inerrant then this book's just a book of fairy tales. But if the Bible is indeed the Word of God, then we have to treat it as such. We have to treat it as such. The Bible is the final authority. Somebody say final. It's a final authority. You just go to the Scripture. Now, I don't have much of this in our notes, but... I want to talk to you about this doctrine of of inerrancy. There have been historical finds throughout even our lifetime, the last hundred years. For instance, when the Dead Seas scrolls were found, in the mountains of Qumran across from the Dead Sea, where John the Baptist would have lived and where he would have grown, um, where Moses would have looked over the Dead Sea, and looked over into uh, the Promised Land. There, there's that area there. There was two Bedouin shepherd boys who were throwing rocks, and they threw a rock into a cave. And when they threw a rock into this one cave, they heard an echo. And that led them to go in and see what it was. And so they climbed up the side of this rock, and they went in, and they found these scrolls of the prophet Isaiah that had been preserved for like... Thousands of years. At least a thousand. When they opened up that transcript of Isaiah and the other little fragments that they found, it was identical side by side to the other ones that they had found. So they were all congruent. They all fit together. So it was awesome. It was awesome. But many historical things like that have been found that have helped us realize that the Scripture really has been preserved from generation to generation. Now, here's the last thing. I want to spend a few minutes here. There are secular objections to the inerrancy of Scripture. That, that means there will be people who say, yep, I don't believe that. And here's what they say. They say, well, there's alleged contradictions and discrepancies in the Bible. Now, we have to ask ourselves the question, is the Scripture infallible in its original form? Meaning the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and the Latin. Is the the Scripture infallible in its original form? or, Or is every translation infallible? Well, there are a lot of translations out there that have a lot of error. So that leads us to believe that the Scripture in its original form is inspired. Now, all of us in here don't speak Greek, he- Hebrew, Latin, or Aramaic. So what do we have to do? We have to find Bibles written in our language by, tr- by reputable, reputable translators. I don't want somebody translating a Spanish Bible who doesn't speak Spanish. Amen? Because my Spanish brothers and sisters will tell you, you can say one thing and it means something else. And I get really nervous when people start adding on to the, well, this is my version of the Bible and I felt led to write this or whatever. The Bible says we're not to add or take away to from the book. And it also says that no Scripture is given by any private interpretation. I'll just go ahead and tell you, I'm leery of any Bible translation worked on by one person. Something of that task needs to be taken on by a team of reputable people who love God and know the language. And I will tell you, we have many reliable translations. The NIV, the NASB, the New King James, the King James. There are some people who say, well, the King James is the only right one. Well, the problem is, is that that's not true. Because the Bible wouldn't, you know, Jesus didn't speak Elizabethan English. Right? And today we don't use these and thou's. Now, that said, at a certain point in time in history, the King James Version of the Bible, which, by the way, is very beautiful and poetic. When I was growing up, that's what I memorized Scripture in. So I'm not knocking it. But what I'm saying is, it's not the only reliable word-for-word translation. There are lots of good ones. The New American Standard, the Amplified Bible is really good. Um, uh, Time would beseech me to get into all of them. But I'm just saying this, Tonight, to let you know that the the type of Bible that we use, it is important. Here's another one. Another objection to the inerrancy of Scripture is the role of human authorship and cultural context in the Bible. In other words, people say, well, it can't be of God because men wrote it. Well, let me tell you something. Who else was going to write it? God used the fleshly finger of Moses to write the 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 ta- the tablets of 10 commandments the 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 10 laws and God used the fleshly finger of the Messiah to get down in the ground on the dirt and write. He also breathed into the people, the apostles and the prophets, those who wrote the holy scripture, He worked through them and He used them in their own faculties and their own functions. It was verbally inspired. What that means, verbal plenary inspiration. What that means is that God literally spoke to them and they wrote it down. Here's the last, here's the last one. People say the Bible can't be inerrant because there's the apparent endorsement of immoral actions in the Bible. Let me tell you what they're talking about. A lot of people say, well, I can't believe the Scripture because in the Old Testament, God told them, kill all the women, kill all the children, kill all the animals, whatever. Can I just tell you something? When you're God and you created everything, you can do with it as you please. But He told us not to do that. Okay, so it seems like a contradiction to, to, to us, but God was the one who created and authored that life, and he told them to do that for a very specific reason. And so those are some objections to it. So what's our conclusion tonight? I'll make this quick. First of all, the inspiration and fallibility of the Bible is the foundation of our faith. Secondly, we can trust and obey the Bible as true and, rely, and and the reliable word of God. And number three, we need to hold fast to Scripture and let it, let it transform our lives. We have historical, archaeological, uh, scientific, medical, all different types of evidences pointing to the validity of Scripture. And so you can't say that about a lot of the other religious books that are out there today. So I'll close with how I started. No wonder why the nations of the world are afraid of the Scripture. Because it truly is the Word of God.